This episode of Strangely Enough is brought to you by BlackSparrowMedia.com. Strangely enough, everybody, my name is Richard, and uh, it's good to have y'all on board this week. Uh, I've been following the story and uh, been bringing to y'all everything I could find on this particular situation, the mass severed foot migration up in British Columbia. Uh, Actually, this came down uh, a few days after the last podcast, and once again, I'm sorry for being a little late. Uh, Well, not once again, but I am sorry for being a little bit late. Uh, we've had, uh, had a lot going on here, but back to the severed feet. Uh, it seems that another one turned up shortly after our last podcast, what was believed to be a sixth human foot to wash up on the shores of British Columbia in recent months proved to be a fake authorities said Thursday, a skeletonized animal paw had been placed in a sock and an athletic shoe and was packed with dry seaweed the British Columbia's coroner service announced. The hoax was uncovered as coroner, the coroner's office began DNA and other forensic tests on the supposed foot in an attempt to identify the person to whom it belonged. Now, let me tell you, if I pull out a foot that's got a hoof on in, only got four toes, something to that effect, I'm pretty much going to figure out it's an animal's foot, especially since the uh, ankle on most animals is turned around the opposite direction. But it is the position of the BCCS that this type of hoax is reprehensible and very disrespectful to the families of the missing persons, authorities said in a written statement. It fuels inappropriate speculation and creates undue anxiety for the families and communities while wasting valuable investigative time and resources that could be spent on the main investigation. Ah, yes, the hoaxers have kicked in. Police initially believed that the right human foot had been found in a man-sized 10 black Adidas athletic shoe, the grizzly discovery was made on Wednesday. That would be last Wednesday, I believe. The find came amid conjecture over the source of five other severed human feet that have been found along the Canadian province's Pacific coast in the last 11 months. Authorities are continuing to investigate multiple possibilities on the origin of the feet from foul play to the possibility that they belong to victims of a plane crash. We are exploring the possibilities that it could be people who may have drowned, said Annie Lintow. You met Annie on one of our previous podcasts. She's the spokesman for the Royal Canadian, Royal Canadian Mounted Police. It could be missing fishermen. 
It could be the remains of people who may have died in a plane crash. When asked about the uh, suspicion of foul play, Lintown noted that the first four feet contained no tool marks and were therefore deemed not to have been severed, except for the one in Texas, maybe. A woman walking on the beach reported the sixth find, said Sergeant Mike Tresor of the RCMP, in the town of Campbell River on the Vancouver, on Vancouver Island, British Columbia. Sandra, Sandra Malone, manager of the Thunderbird RV Park and campground on the Tai Spit, mm-hmm, said a woman came in about 10.30 a.m. and asked her to call police, saying she had found the shoe with a foot inside. While waiting for police, Malone said she walked to the beach with the woman and saw it herself. The leg bones were coming out of the running shoe about three to four inches, she said. There were no tissues or anything attached. Well, somebody cut my foot off, I would need a tissue. She said seaweed was wrapped around the top of the running shoe, making it hard to tell whether any tissue was inside the shoe. But she said the foot appeared to have been deliberately severed as the bones had been cut clean across. Sounds like some finger poking going on in uh, British Columbia. Another foot, a left foot still in a shoe, was found Monday on the shore of Westham Island, south of Vancouver. Police said it was taken to the coroner for DNA testing. The Vancouver Sun newspaper said the first four feet found were all right feet making the foot found Monday the only left foot. Experts told the son there could be explanations that did not suggest foul play. Ian Buckingham, a retired coroner, told the newspaper the ankle joint could come apart, could come apart easily if the body was decomposing in the sea. Well, that's a bright observation, Ian. Curtis Ebsmeyer, well, we've... He'd been on here before. An expert on ocean currents told the sun a foot wearing a buoyant athletic shoe could float for as far as a thousand miles. Although the gruesome finds have drawn international attention, police said it may take some time to unravel the mystery. We suffer from the CSI effect. People think uh, this can happen very quickly, Brooks said. It could take weeks or months, and even if we get a DNA sample, we need a sample to match it with. The mystery has caused a stir and led to many rumors, locals say. One newspaper has begun investigating a rash of young men who have gone missing in the area. Some have wondered whether the feet could belong to the five men who were in a plane crash, three years ago in the waterway where the feet were found. Some of these men's relatives were at the Campbell River site on Wednesday. It's a constant reminder every time from the time the first foot washed up, said Kristen Stevens, whose husband Dave died in the crash. Although her husband's body was located, Stevens said the other men's relatives 
never recovered their loved ones. Hmm. It reopens the wound every time, she says. Well, there you go. Uh, we'll keep our eye on the severed foot mystery that's going on. Apparently, they're uh, they're bringing in some missing individuals into the uh, lore. This right here seems to be the, the, the way uh, a really good urban legend starts. So we'll keep our eye on it. Next, uh, from Sweden, those wacky Swedes. A school has confiscated an eight-year-old boy's birthday party invitations after they were handed out during class because it said it had a duty to ensure against discrimination. You got it. The boys handed out in, the boy handed out invitations to his classmates at his school in Lund, southern Sweden, but did not invite two boys because they were not his friends. The Sidsvenskan newspaper reported earlier this week. The school, 360 miles south of Stockholm, confiscated all the invitations, saying it objected because it had a duty to ensure against discrimination. Oh, yeah. Yeah, here in the U.S., we're infecting the rest of the world. Okay, the report on Friday did not name the boy or his family. It said the boy's father had filed a complaint with a parliamentary ombudsman. The father told the newspaper that the two classmates were not invited because one had bullied his son and the other had not invited his son to his birthday party. My son has taken it very hard, the father told the Fed, Sid Vinskin of the school's decision. It's like taking someone's mail. The parliamentary ombudsman has asked the school board to decide on the issue before September the 8th. Well, there you go. It's uh, all that sharing, caring, feely, touchy stuff we got going on here in the U.S. is starting to infect the rest of the world. You know, it's a uh, It's no wonder the aliens haven't made contact, because I'm sure that uh, most of the stuff we do looks like an infectious disease uh, to them. All righty. Uh, next, we move to New Mexico. A New Mexico appeals court on Friday ruled against a Los Alamos man who wanted to change his name to a phrase containing a popular four-letter obscenity. The man appealed after a state district judge in Bernalillo County refused his request to change his name to F, fill in the blank, censorship. Judge Nan Nash ruled that the proposed name change was obscene, offensive, and would not comport with common decency. The man whose current legal name is Variable, Variable, argued on on appeal that it was improper government censorship to deny him the name change. We do not believe that the district court's action infringes on petitioner's right up to free speech. A three-judge three panel of the Court of Appeals 
said in its ruling. The man has the right to call himself whatever he wants. Unless there's fraud or misrepresentation involved, the judge, judges said. But once he seeks court approval for a name change, the court has the authority to turn him down on several grounds, including if the name is offensive to common decency and good taste, the judge ruled. That law was clarified in a 2004 case in the same court that apparently involved the same petitioner. In that case, an Albuquerque man whose name was Snap Happy Fish Suit Moklingon got the go-ahead from the appeals court to change his name to Variable. Well, there you go. You know there's people out there with just too much time on their hands. And as far as I'm concerned, uh, I'm sure things have probably changed down here with the influx of... Uh, uh, folks and the swelling of the ranks of the uh, cities around here however it hasn't been too terribly long ago that uh, we still believed uh, down here in this part of the country that your right to freedom free speech and all that good stuff ended when it started to affect other people and uh, well I could go off but we'll move on to the next story uh, it turns out that a woman in Utah who received an oxygen generator in the mail got something extra in her package. Two rat snakes. Yes, rat snakes. Unlimited oxygen of Mooresville, Indiana said. Recent flooding probably flushed the snakes out of a barn near the company's warehouse. The snakes took refuge in a package sent to Gay Hearst's who at first thought they were hoses and part of the equipment. Now, that would be a surprise, would it not? Hearst, 55, said she ordered the oxygen generator for glass blowing. State wildlife officials took custody of the snakes and said they might send them back to Indiana. Deport them bad boys. The only thing I can figure, though, is unless y'all want to pack them up in a crate, then you're going to have to deal with snakes on a plane. Yeah, buddy. Deport them back to Indiana. They were probably running from the boom out there. I hear, uh, hear the boom and the hum is really, really having at it in Kokomo. Alrighty. Um, next, we move to North Carolina. Thanks to some tech-savvy or text-message-savvy grandchildren, North Carolina drivers whose license plates have the potentially offensive WTF letter combination can replace the tags for free. The News and Observer of Raleigh reported Tuesday that State Division of Motor Vehicles has notified nearly 10,000 holders of license plates with the letter combination that uh, they can change out their stuff. Officials learned last year the common acronym stands for a vulgar phrase in email and cell phone text messages. Well, you know, I think license plates have been around longer than that, but 
as we move on. Uh, but this week, the DMV officials got another surprise when they learned the same letters appeared on a agency's own website on a sample personalized license plate. I can't believe it. DMV Commissioner Bill Gore said Monday when told about the online glitch. Obviously, I didn't know it was there. Officials are working to remove the sample plate. The WTF 5505 used on the website sample plate was the first random letter combination available when DMV switched from blue to red lettered plates, officials said. DMV spokesman Marge Howell received a sample plate WTF 5506 to use as a prop for a news story about the switch. A 60-year-old technology teacher from Fayetteville complained about the plate last July after her teenage grandchildren clued her in. Well, you know, the language changes, things change. I can think of a lot of uh, letter combinations I could get on my license plate that are things I say every day which aren't email and stuff like that, but uh, they're not exactly family friendly. California, good old California. It turns out that a San Francisco performance artist was sentenced Friday to as many as four years in prison and ordered to pay restitution for the early torching last summer of the signature effigy of the Counterculture Burning Man Festival. You got it. Torched the Burning Man several days early. <laughs> that was a surprise to promoters, let me tell you. Paul Addis pleaded guilty in May to one felony count of injury to property stemming from the burning of the 40-foot icon on August 28th, four days earlier than planned. He was ordered to pay restitution in the sum of $30,000, $30,000 for a 40-foot stick figure. Burning Man organizers rebuilt the effigy in time for it to go up in flames in the ceremonial climax of the annual weekend festival in the northern Nevada desert. In March, Addis pleaded guilty to two misdemeanor counts related to an alleged arson attempt at a San Francisco historic Grace Cathedral, according to the city prosecutor's office. Addis was out on bail in the Burning Man case when police say he was found with an ammunition belt of small explosives inside the Episcopal Chapel. He was sentenced to three years probation and ordered back to Nevada to face the charges there. Burning Man is an eclectic art, music, and performance festival that draws more than 40,000 people. Uh, it began in 1986 at San Francisco's Baker Beach and was moved to the Black Rock Desert in 1990. Well, man, $30,000 for a stick figure. Who'd have thought it? I guess it's a good thing he didn't get caught by the people that hang out there because those kind of folks that will beat you to death. Anyway... Now, from the I'm Sorry Department, and uh, 
I guess this guy was sorry. It seems that Crawford County authorities say an inmate escaped from the county jail and left behind a rose fashioned out of toilet paper because he felt sorry for breaking out. Now, uh, I believe this is in Arkansas. Turns out that Luis Camacho Mendoza was recaptured a day later on Wednesday in the Van Buren home in a Van Buren home after police received a tip. Uh, Investigator Ken Howard said Camacho Mendoza was found hiding in a closet in a pile of clothes with a pillowcase over his head. But he wasn't hiding too good because you could see the outline of his head in the pillowcase, Howard said. We all grabbed him pretty quick and he didn't seem to resist. Authorities said Camacho Mendoza was in jail on drug charges and was expected to be deported to Mexico by immigration officials. In his escape, Camacho broke open a lock on a kitchen door using a tool made out of two screwdrivers, authorities said. Camacho Mendoza worked in the kitchen. Well, I guess that's probably how he got next to the kitchen door. When the inmate was discovered missing, authorities also found a flower, Howard said. When we asked him about that, he said he felt sorry for the captain for escaping. Howard said the flower looked pretty nice. Well, as a, you know, I think that's sweet. Uh, you break out of jail, you leave an I'm sorry gift. Works out pretty well. On to Michigan. As we move on to Michigan, we find out a man was accused of stabbing his mother with a fork and assaulting a second woman with 10 pounds of frozen chicken. And chicken's supposed to be good for you. Frederick Dwayne McCaney, 40 years old of Ypsilanti, Michigan, was arraigned Wednesday, last Wednesday, in the 12th District Court in Jackson. He faces two felony assault charges as well as one count of assault and battery and one count of resisting an officer. Prosecutors said that McCaney stabbed his mother in the back of the neck with a fork on Monday. About an hour later, he hit a woman in the head with a plastic bag of frozen chicken. They had exchanged rude words while he rode his bicycle. She needed five surgical stitches to close the wound. McCaney has no attorney on record with the court. A pre-exam conference is scheduled for July the 2nd. So that's today. Well... So like I said, chicken's supposed to be good for you, but it sounds to me that it wasn't working out for, uh, oh, where's the darling's name? No, it doesn't say her name. We hope you're, we hope you're feeling better, lady with chicken bash on your head. You gotta love Wisconsin, man. I love Wisconsin. I was raised on macaroni and cheese and grilled cheese sandwiches and everything else. So Wisconsin has a place in my heart. It turns out a Wisconsin sculptor has fashioned a version of a historical painting made out of cheese. Troy Landwer 
has carved a version of John Trumbull's painting, Declaration of Independence, in a 2,000-pound block of cheddar cheese. The artist's painting of the historic signing hangs in the Capitol in Washington and graces the back of the $2 bill. And if you don't have a $2 bill in your pocket, it's the one where all the guys are standing around and looks like they're in the process of signing the Declaration of Independence. The cheesy version is to be displayed near Independence Mall in Philadelphia for July the 4th, then returned to Wisconsin to be shown at Landwire's Kerrigan Brothers Winery. The cheddar will eventually be cut up and sent to the food pantries. Not as dangerous as you might think, since it's cheddar. It is Landwire's second project for the Kellogg Company's Cheez-It Cracker brand. Last year, he did several renditions of Mount Rushmore out of cheddar. Mm-mm. Well, he can send that bad boy here, because we love cheese around our house. Okay, this one's a little lengthy. I think we got time, though. This is our final final item for this time around. An American hiker stranded in the Bavarian Alps for nearly three days was rescued after using her sports bra as a signal. Police in southern Germany said on Monday. Birch Garden, Birch, Birch's Garden, hmm, sounded almost New Jersey-ish. Uh, police officer Lorenz Rasp said that he helped lift 24-year-old Jessica Bruinsma of Colorado State to safety by helicopter on Thursday after she attracted the attention of lumberjacks. <laughs> I bet she did. By attaching her sports bra to a cable used to move timber down down the side of the mountain. She's a very smart girl and she acted very resourcefully, said Rasp. She kept her shirt and jacket for warmth but thought the sports bra could work as a signal. Apparently so. An Alpine rescue team, including five helicopters and 80 emergency workers, had been searching for Brunsma since she went missing on June 16th after losing her way in, a bad, in bad weather while hiking with a friend near the Austrian border. She fell 16.4 feet to a rocky overhang where she spent the next 70 hours on the narrow ledge, sustained by water that she found by breaking into a supply box on the ledge. She badly bruised her leg and dislocated a shoulder in the fall, and the cliff was too isolated for her to climb free, Rasp said. Rasp said the cable was only within reach because the timber transportation system was out of service. When a repairman restored the line restored the line on Thursday, the cable car started moving up the mountain and Brunsma's bra reached the worker at the base. He knew of the missing hiker and immediately called police. Rasp said his team followed the cable line up the cliffside in a helicopter and found Brunsma standing on the ledge, braless waving her good arm. After circling once, they lowered the winch to Brunsma and lifted her aboard. She did so well because she is in very good shape, Rasp said. She has been training for a marathon. Her goal is to finish in three hours and ten minutes. 
Brunsmato Rasp that she has scrapped plans to stay in Birchesgaden to learn German and plans to return home to Colorado Springs with her parents. He said she still plans to run the marathon if she recovers in time. Well, let me tell you. Jessica, if you're out there, you can hear my voice. Keep us posted on how you're doing because we would like to find out. You know, I keep telling people to keep us posted, but, but nobody does. If any of you people are anywhere near the woman that died for several hours and came back or the gal that got hit by lightning and won the lottery the next day or even good old Jessica here, if any of y'all are close by to her and have any information on her, I would love to hear it. And uh, we'll get it on the show. Well, that's about all we got for this time around. If y'all have any comments, suggestions, hate mail, and I do appreciate hate mail because if you're mailing me, that means you're listening. Uh, send them to Richard S.E. Richard with a S.E. on the end of it at BlackSparrowMedia.com. Richard S.E. at BlackSparrowMedia.com. And I think that's pretty much it for this week. Y'all take care of yourselves, and we'll see y'all next time around. Uh